The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 56, Broken Airplanes, Overflight Permits, Pre-Flight Oversight, and Pathfinding Expeditions coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 56. I'm your host, Len Costa. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation mavericks, starting with our first maverick all the way from New Jersey. And his, I, actually, which studio are you in? Is it the crash pad or the basement? Where are we today, no, this Carl? Is, this is the studio. The, this is the basement studio, and it's actually in nice and dry New Jersey. I just flew in from uh, wet Las Vegas Nevada, and boy, I tell you, it's nice to get back to a place that, that's, that's somewhat dry and not floating away. Not floating away. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that is good. That is good. Well, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, our next uh, aviation maverick, all the way from her studio in uh, Maryland, uh, Victoria Zyko. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm currently feeding a puppy ice cream so he doesn't bark and bug me while we record. <laughs> You've been pretty good. I've heard him a few times, but you know it adds a little dimension to uh, to the show, so that's fine. I was actually thinking about trying to podcast out out in the backyard this afternoon, but I didn't have time to find a table or get anything set up for that. But maybe next time. So uh, excellent! Uh, our next aviation maverick from his studio, or what I guess is a mattress in his spare bedroom, is Sean Moody. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Yeah, we we moved in here almost a year ago, and this is still the. Uh, Kind of the catch-all slash podcasting studio for me, so oh, very good. it does the trick. It's sure, perfect. <laughs> and our final aviation maverick from his studio in Massachusetts, Rick Felty. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Carl's mention of of weather uh, reminded me we we had some really intense rains here this week, and it's very cool because I finally got a weather station positioned where it will actually tell me the rain, and. Um, we at one point, because it measures this, were at um, eleven inches. We're, we're wow. at an, a rate of eleven inches an hour for a real for a burst of time. Wow. It did, thankfully That's did not insane. last. It did not not last an hour, but it, in that one hour we got you know just a, it was two inches total in that hour. But there was a period where it was just torrential. In fact, yeah. this this I'll t- I can talk about it on another show for weather people. But th- this little app and the, and the readout actually says it's raining cats and dogs when it gets above <laughs> a certain. Amount. So anyway, That's great. but we're doing fine now. We're drying out. You're drying out. So you've got your own weather station to tell you when it's oh, raining yeah. like cats and dogs, and then your exactly. twine texts you when your basement's flooded. <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm slowly. <laughs> the machines are taking over. I'm actually welcoming them in. And, the, be, and then your nest adjusts your uh, your thermostat for it you. Does. Exactly. <laughs> And and I and I can track my electric car. It's crazy here. It's crazy, guys. <laughs> Very fun. Excellent. That's funny to hear. And uh, once again, I'm your host, Len Casa, joining you from the uh, suburban Chicago podcast studios out here in uh, outside of Chicago. So uh, another fun show today. We've got all the get all the co-hosts with us. We've got a couple of announcements and then some uh, some topics to visit. Let's do the pre-flight. So let's hear first uh, from Victoria about your announcement. Um, My announcement is I can't believe I'm actually announcing it already. Um, Women of Aviation Week 2014 is already in the works. Um, I'm on the board of directors and I am the U.S. team leader. So we are looking um, for people around the world who are uh, willing and able to introduce women to aviation, whether it's individually or hosting great events around the country. So we're looking for people. Uh, the theme this year is aerobatics. So I don't know how much more fun that could get. Um, so, you know, look me up, give me a ring, check out womenofaviationweek.org and you can request an organizer handout there. 
And as we mentioned before, you don't have to be a woman to host or organize no. an event. So guys out there listening, uh, interested in, in participating or hosting one of these events, uh, you are also welcome. Hey, Vic, what, what's example, the week again? Then. It is March 3rd through 10th this year. It's always the week mm-hmm. of March 8th. Okay. All right, good. That's in my calendar. Awesome. Putting it in there. I'll make you uh, do some chairs for me again. <laughs> of course. Hi, I'm Carl. Here, take some chairs. I'll exactly. Never <laughs> Actually, I'll never get over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, um, Carl, tell us about your announcement. Another air show, another aviation event. Yes, and, and you know, I, I, I love air shows, and I love going and, and talking to people at air shows, but this might become one of my favorite air shows because I love combining aviation air shows with doing something good in charity. Well, there's an air show that's been going on for quite some time. It's the California International Air Show at Salinas, California, not too far from Monterey. And for the past 30-some-odd years, they've actually had this really cool air show with military and some great acts. This year, you're going to have Sean Tucker they're going to have some a B25, they're going to have a C47, they're going to have all sorts of neat static dis- displays. What's really cool about this air show is that they take uh, most of the money from this and they give it to local charities. And in the past 30 some odd years, they've been able to raise nearly 80 or excuse me, 8, 8 million dollars for local charity. So that's real cool. So it's going to a good cause. Plus you're going to go and uh, see a really awesome show. The show is going to be September 21st and 22nd. And, uh, you can look online at salinasairshow.com and we'll have a link to it at the stuck Mike Avcast. Correct. And, uh, just another one of those shows that between all the places we travel, I still can't make it to. I haven't made it to a single event in 2013. I feel like the wow. only the only pilot who hasn't been to an air show this year. Nope, I'm on that list. You me are. Me too, unfortunately. Can you believe that? <laughs> Rick, me too. Yeah, I was going to say, wow. Yeah, flip all the cards for 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 an aviation podcast. Not a single one of us has been to an event this year. That's that is stellar. Fail. That is Fail. stellar. I've I've bumped into air shows, not on purpose, actually. <laughs> it, it just I happened to be there, and there was an air show. As a matter of fact, embarrassingly enough, I was in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, and it was the Allentown Air Show hosted by Sands Casino. I happened to be at the casino and forgot about the air show. I was losing, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never made it to the air show. Twice, twice. <laughs> you lost twice that day. Dude, yeah. I always lose when I go to the casino. I should stick to air shows. Stick <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Um, geez. Um, yeah, no joke. That and a few other commentary. But um, yeah, so uh, my announcement, another blog post over at StuckMikeAvCast.com, a, a uh, video demo of a not new but new to me, new to us, iOS app called Bingo Fuel. And uh, in this video demo, I take you through how to uh, use the app. Uh, it's called Bingo Fuel. So the purpose of it is to figure out your fuel burn from your present position in space to your destination, how to figure out what your bingo fuel uh, will be to determine how long you can either fly or hold before diverting to your alternate. And then it, you can also figure out your actual time in minutes uh, that you can remain aloft uh, based on your burn to destination, distance to your alternate, how much fuel you have on board, and come up with a holding time. So check that out at stuckmikeavcast.com. It is the Bingo Fuel iOS app video demo. Now entering cruise flight. All right. Well, we've got a couple of, actually kind of a, you know, a couple of revisits of some old topics. Uh, Today we've got two things. Uh, Victoria actually was has sort of talked a little bit about her experience recently flying into Canada. And actually, in episode 29, uh, over at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 29, episode 29 was a, was a show we did about Canada, flying in Canada, some things we talked about customs and our experiences. Uh, Victoria's got a story that actually sort of expands upon that, adds to episode number 29. Victoria, tell us, kind of now that you're back with the airplane and everything's repaired, I mean, you've... You did quite a few things. You crossed the border internationally in a small airplane. You had a maintenance issue. You had a pet with you. You've got a lot of things, actually, I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Well, once upon a time, there was this boy named Bob, and he married this lady named Victoria, and it was their anniversary. So this boy named Bob decided to give this girl named Victoria a lovely surprise. And of course, like they always do, they have to fly to wherever this surprise is. So I don't know a darn thing. It's bugging me the entire week. He won't give me any clues. We just pack, hop in the airplane, and go. So we're on the airplane. He puts me to ISO every time he talks to ATC. Every time it has to mention the destination, make sure that I cannot hear what he's saying to air traffic control. Um, he didn't put anything in on the GPS. He had it all on his tablet that I could not see. So it was driving me mad. We're just heading further north and north. And eventually I say, are we going into Canada? And he says, do you have your passport? I say, no. And he goes, well, I guess not. <laughs> well, soon enough, we're entering Canada and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, Bob, I think we're going to Canada. And sure enough, he didn't ISO the radio in time. And they're like, confirm your destination is Ottawa. And, you know, Bob's all mad that the surprise was ruined. And um, even though I still didn't know why we were going to Ottawa. And he pulls out the passport from his pocket. Thank goodness. <laughs> so anyway, um, basically, Ottawa is, I mean, in Canada, isn't the hardest thing to get to. You have to call... Um, what is it? Customs. Customs two to 48 hours ahead of time before you go. If you're flying VFR, you need to file a VFR flight plan. When you depart, make sure you activate that flight plan. We thought um, air traffic control automatically did that um, when we followed up with them and started. They did not. So Customs was a little confused when we arrived and they did not see our flight plan anywhere. Luckily, it was not a big ordeal. Uh, we landed and gave customs a call, and it was it was a quite simple, painless process. Interesting things that would have happened um, if our aircraft hadn't broken upon landing. We uh, a seal broke in one of the landing gear, and all of a sudden, my side went down. I thought we uh, busted a tire or something and went out, and the whole strut was absolutely deflated. Um, the original plan was to go home that very same day and there was no customs. You have to land at the first customs available when you cross over the Canada U S border. Bob didn't want to do that. There was nothing that would be open. So we were able to fly what, um, file what's called an overflight permit. And the overflight permit allows you go to fly over whatever the first few, customs places are to land at a specific customs place and you have to have passport information um, and all this stuff filed and listed on this overflight permit before you can do it. So ours was filed for Washington Dulles um, so we would clear customs there and then head back to Frederick. Unfortunately that did not happen because the airplane broke on us. And believe it or not in a humongous airport like that on a Sunday there are no A&Ps available. And uh, we ended up having to fly the rental home. I mean, drive the rental home. We didn't fly it. It was a Yaris. It was very slow. <laughs> um, anyway, so we ended up having to drive back over the border to Canada. And we had an additional concern. You know, the following week, we had to be in Michigan. So we would be driving to Canada and then flying from Canada to Michigan. And this time, we'd have Turbo with us. So I was really concerned on how customs would handle that. And it turns out that's not very hard either. They want to see a rabies certificate. And I also heard that food can be a problem. They don't want food either way, going from Canada to U.S. or U.S. to Canada. Uh, they want to make sure the food is manufactured within either U.S. or Canada and it's sealed. So you want a sealed bag of the food, nothing in Ziplocs. But I talked to a lot of people, and that never was an issue for them. And I packed Turbo's food in Ziplocs and figured I'd just buy some if they made me get rid of it, and it was perfectly fine. In addition, I had a medical certificate showing that he had been to the doctor in the past whatever days, and the vet cleared him as healthy. So upon landing in Pontiac, it was a, a non-issue. Uh, Turbo got pet a lot. Um, they ran, ran the radioactive thing around the plane a bit, asked us a few quick questions, and we were on our way. The fun part was when we landed, there was a specific dot we had to taxi to 
for customs. It was this nice blue dot. So um, if you ever see a blue dot on the airport, that's what it's for. You can also um, actually where um, trying to think of where I was recently, but I saw I want to I might have been in Columbus. I saw like a um, a King Air taxiing up to the airline terminal, uh, and I and I was thinking I'm like, what is this King Air doing going to the airline terminal? When I realized was they were pulling up not to an actual gate where an airliner would, but to a section of the you know of the uh, secure area over by the airline terminal where customs office was and they so they came out of the airline terminal and met the aircraft and i was watching this and it was interesting because it's not always uh you know it's not always at the fbo or a separate location i've also seen it you know seen it at where you actually go to the the air terminal um and then in other cases i've been to the one in erie and it was just kind of a you know a, a, a separate customs area so it was all it's different ways. Yeah, different ways it can happen. You know, one thing about Canada is remember they have a uh, user fees. So uh, every time you use flight service or air traffic control, you're going to get a charge. We actually just got a bill in the mail last week. So they know who you are and they know how to hunt you down and get their user fees. That's how everything's paid for there. Also, the gas was quite expensive. So you know we complain about. How the gas prices just keep going up and up here, but uh, compared to Canada, we have got it easy. Right. Well, and they're also in liters, so there is a multiple, a multiple factor there when you're looking at it. But it still is a little bit more. Um, it was like nine dollars a gallon. Yeah, that's. I think that's even worse than New York City potentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that is um, quite impressive. One thing to note from uh, when we flew from Canada to Pontiac, we had to know we had to um, arrive within 15 minutes of our estimated time that we gave them. So we actually had to update with flight service because we had a bit of a headwind and we're, we're running about a half hour late. So it's a good thing to notify them if um, your change of arrival time is going to be different. That's for airports that don't have 24-hour customs. Yeah. Could you, Carl, could you imagine having to do that when you're on a three-hour uh, delay flying, you know, flying back and forth to Canada? No, no, I couldn't imagine that. But, hey, you know, Victoria, you mentioned about the food. Did they have those little dogs there, like like basset hounds sniffing or no? No, when, no when sniffer no, dogs. No sniffer dogs? Because no, I actually... Actually, uh, Canada <clears throat> was really lax compared to Michigan, but both, I was expecting a lot more to go through. It was pretty easy, but I, I know it varies. I had a friend who was detained for two hours once, so... Yeah, gosh, because I, I, I tell you, that's been, uh, my experience primarily has been, they, they've been pretty tough about the food issue, and uh, I actually was walking in once, and they, they were sniffing, sniffing, and the dog just kind of stopped... And uh, one of the uh, crew members forgot they left a sandwich in their bag. And I was like, <laughs> gosh, that thing has one heck of a sniffer. I mean, it was like from six feet away that this, this dog detected. It's like, wow, that thing's amazing. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting having to do all that work. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you know, honestly, I haven't done it myself, which is kind of nice, you know. And neither is Len, I guess. Len, you haven't done it yourself, have you, on the Canadian side? Um, I mean, oh, we, no, wait, you have. Well, just yeah, just once we took a uh, Seminole from Virginia up to uh, London, Ontario, and then stopped in Erie, Pennsylvania, on the way back. Um, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't, ter- you know, we were on schedule and whatnot, and didn't have to make the updates. And our, my experience was uh, was particularly simple. Uh, I was with a Canadian citizen who was a pilot in command, and I was a CFI. And we got there, and he got out of the airplane, and I remained in the airplane. And he went and he called customs on the phone, and uh, whatever conversation they had for 30 seconds, and told him that we were free to go. So nobody actually came out and greeted us. Uh, however, when we went through, uh, you know, in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, it wasn't... wasn't uh, terrible but it was a completely different experience you know it was very regimented and a lot more serious and you had to go in and show a bunch of documents and answer a bunch of questions and it wasn't a big ordeal but from the experience of having a phone call to an office and them telling you to proceed on your way versus uh, you know showing all your documentation and stuff like that it was a different experience but uh, it's yeah it's not it's not terribly difficult you know, uh, Victoria, you mentioned the overflight permit, and I don't, I don't know if, um, Len, you've dealt with this also, but is that 
actually, did you bring it physically with you? Did it have a piece of paper? Did you write it down? Is it a number? What, what was it? We did not have it physically with us because he filed for it the day before mm-hmm. or something. Um, no, actually, no. I believe he did have it emailed to him. I'm going to have to double check. He just got here. As I said, it was all a surprise. So I learned how to go to Canada after we got there. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know huh? we had a, I'd never heard of an overflight permit. I didn't know there was ways around this custom stuff. Um, so, yeah, the overflight permit, he just, I know he needed our passport info, our pilot certificate info. Um, I was wondering why he was digging through my purse the other day. This was why. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... It's I, It was relatively painless, I know, getting the overflight permit, and you just have to do it, you know, on a business day, you know, within, I, I don't know if it was like a day ahead or a couple hours ahead, and um, that's something that you, there is a confirmation number, but I believe he had a printout page he could use. That's interesting because, you know, I'm trying to compare and contrast like with the airlines and, uh, you know, we have overflight permits for, you know, because we'll go over multiple countries on our way to a destination. And uh, sometimes there's certain countries like Cuba, for instance, when you're flying over Cuba, you have to have that permit number with you. And if you don't say you have it, you have to go all the way around the island. But most other countries are pretty lax about it. So I guess it's on a case by case basis whether whether they're going to tell you to go away or not if you don't have the number available right away. And uh, I guess there's some ramifications otherwise. Um, I know in Canada, I've, I've actually accidentally I ferried an airplane up to Calgary one night, and we had forgotten to put all the information down on the forms. And uh, we got a we got a bit of a chewing out when we landed, uh, but that was it. We didn't get detained for very long at all, which was nice. They were very friendly that day. <laughs> After they chewed you out. After they well, I, I, I'm all for the chewing out instead of going to, a, you know, being detained in some cell somewhere. Yes, so nice. you know that's yeah because I've seen that happen too. You know, people getting detained in cells. And it's, it's much better to get detained at the airport and get a chewing out. Well, it's always but, good to have a checklist and make sure you you've handled everything properly because you know going to other countries. You know, it's not like a Mexican jail in Canada. I bet they're not right, that. right, right. You, yeah. you still don't want to be there. No, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. But you know, th- this is kind of fascinating too. Is that it's? It, don't you think now that you've done it once, you you probably could maybe do it again fairly easily? Or oh yeah, well we kind of did it again because we had to drive home. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> we ended up driving home and then drive back up there. So, um, you know, it it wasn't that scary. You know, yeah. except for making sure you had your times correct and you know opened the fi- um the VFR flight plan and you know, dotted your I's and crossed your T's, you're good to go. So it wasn't that scary. Yeah, because I know a lot of people are nervous about it, you know, going to Canada, the Bahamas, Mexico, et cetera, that, that border the country. And, and it's really not that bad. It's just I'm go with someone who knows what they're the doing. DC flight areas that yeah. I am nervous about this. Like, I don't think crossing Canada, because we didn't, we our flight plan plan wasn't opened. We didn't have an F-16 pull up along us, but you get a little too close to Camp David and bam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you hear it all the time. I mean, I heard it up at, in Vineyard and Haven not too long ago and, the, you know, then flying around saying, hey, you're getting a little too close and so-and-so, you know, make sure you you, uh, you wouldn't call us on the ground and turn to this heading, that type of thing. It's not, not quite like that when you make a mistake crossing the, the Canadian border, especially. <laughs> but, Thank you. Uh, yeah. This is neat. I, did you write this up somewhere? I, I like this. Uh, yeah. The long version of it is on my blog uh, going into uh, – Bob ended up surprising me with a Cirque du Soleil show, which is one of my favorite things to see. It was my ninth. And cool. We tur- toured around Ottawa, and there was um, – we ended up having to bring uh, our aircraft. The ramp fee was $75 a night. And we ended up moving oh over gosh. to fifteen dollars a night at the Ottawa Flying Club, and I tell you, this place was awesome. There was food there; it was active. Um, tons of airplanes going in and out, tons of people going in and out, and it just seemed like, you know, a fun place. I feel like people were just hanging out there and then, you know, hangar chatting. Besides just going for your lesson and leaving, it, it seemed like a really neat place. So if you're ever in Ottawa, you know, check out the Ottawa Flying Club. Did they have any cool airplanes out there? Like anything Canadian or something? Uh, anything stuff? Canadian. Yeah. Uh, like this. The coolest one I saw on the FBO ramp was, I think it had to have been, it was some big high-wing um, multi-engine 
ugly thing, but it had so many wires and antennas on it. It had to be for some type of testing. Um, I think I, I might have put a photo up about it, and I need to find out what it was. Did Other you see any that, beavers or anything? Crazy. No, I didn't see any beavers. Oh, but because uh, I know they have, you know, like the have one, that kind of thing. And yeah, there was a lot there. of Cessnas. Well, that, that Ottawa is such a cool town. I mean, there's so many interesting things to see there. In, it in was Canada, a nice Canada. town. We went to Parliament um, and things like that, but we had a time schedule to adhere to. Uh, you know, first we had to be at Cirque du Soleil on time, and then we were like, all right, we got to jet out of here afterwards because we got an eight and a half hour drive home. So we got home at 4 a.m. on a work day. <laughs> and, and on that Parliament tour, make sure you take the tour that's in the language that you speak. Don't get on the line with all the French speakers. Like, gosh, why are these people? I don't understand what they're saying. Way to go, oh, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. He's not I'm speaking re- from experience. Just a public, no. Yeah, just a blanket I'm, public service yeah, announcement. Just public service. That's right. We did that in Egypt. We uh, accidentally got on the Egypt tour and we're like, we don't know what they're saying. But we got to go twice because then they're like, the English one's next. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got to look, and then the next time you got to listen. So you exactly, got the best of which both is kind of good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, fun, great. Uh, yeah, appreciate you sharing that experience with us. Uh, we, as I said before, uh, another sort of revisit uh, from episode fifty-three when we were talking about accidents in aviation and what motivates us to keep flying and the likes. And there was actually a recent aviation. I was it. I think it was an accident, Rick. But uh, yeah. this was in your local area. Something that, you know, due to yeah. proximity and other things, sort of hit home, close to home for you. Tell us about that. Yeah, a few a few of us here bounced this around once this became news. You know, I even heard from friends who aren't pilots who just were checking in. Like, was you know, was that you? It wasn't at Norwood where I fly. It was at a little airport called Taunton, and um, and it, I, the, the whole point of bringing this up this time is. It's the idea that there are things we do, there, there are sometimes situations you can get in that are because you've misjudged the weather or things have changed or, or, something, or something mechanical happens to the plane that is just a, a freak accident, a thing breaks, a part breaks. Um, but then there are times, and this, this um, accident may very well have been one of these, where um, through an oversight of your own, you put yourself at more risk. So you're a pilot and you're, and, and, and you, and you may have caused something that makes, you know, your flight uh, more challenging or in fact dangerous. So it just, it just made me think about that. And, and I'll just describe it to you again. The, the, the beginning I like to say on all these is certainly not speculating on actually what happened, but the idea of what, um, the, an NTSB, you know, comment that's in the press has, as indicated is what made me start to think about sort of, uh, situations where maybe where, where where there's a risk of causing your own problems. This was a um, an Aranka Seven AC, um, and these things I don't know too much about them except that I know that's a cloth, I think, fabric covered um, plane. And the reason that matters is the the pictures I see after the crash, which was um, a, pretty much a total you know fire, and and the whole thing was consumed except for the frame. Um, but what was what was left that was found and reported in the press was um, this plane took off and pretty quickly crashed. And what was left or what was found was uh, the gust lock on the rudder was still in place. And and you know yeah you go you, that's what you say right you go oh you know just a little moment and this was a newly purchased it's an older older plane but it was new to the pilot and um, and it was an early morning departure and it was still intact. And so they probably, and I think there's a crosswind. I mean, I heard some speculation from some people who, I guess, I don't know how they heard this. So this is all speculation that pretty quickly they, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, compensate for the crosswind and just turned. And uh, so it, but that made me think, okay, you know, just about times where, you know, if you're not, if you're not thorough, not that they were or weren't, but the idea is it caused me to think about the potential for being in a position where, oh, man, am I glad I remembered to do that. Because if I hadn't, you know, I'd, be, I'd have no option. You know, I'd be stuck. Um, the two things that, um, you know, it's sort of a small thing, but it's things like this was, this was not an accident potential. But, you know, one of my first solo flights, I, I flew across country and parked the plane and, and went, uh, you know, went and had lunch and stuff, you know, 
a high dollar number hamburger, whatever it was. And, um, came back out, started up, got ready to leave. And some guy started gesturing to me and I'm sitting there in my plane running and I had, I had not unchalked the plane and <laughs> you know, that wasn't going to be any big deal. And actually he was pretty cool. And he actually came over and very carefully moved around behind and, you know, took care of it for me and didn't, I didn't have to stop. And, and that was cool. But but that was a moment of oversight, which really I went, oh, man, what a knucklehead. But no, nothing terribly dangerous except a hassle. Uh, I wouldn't have gone anywhere. Um, but the other one was I was actually on a, on a training flight. I mean, on a, on a practice flight or one of my solo cross countries you know, before getting my license. In. Um, and only afterwards did it was turned out to be the last flight uh, for that plane for a while because um, there was a crack in a cylinder. And... I had made, you know, it was, a, it was a long cross country and I had done the flight and it had all seemed to go well. And I, I got down and I looked, I don't know if I've told the story before, but I'll be quick. I looked at the front cowling. This was a, um, an SR20 and the, uh, there was a dark kind of fluid along one of the cracks of the front of the cowling. So I actually I took a picture with my phone and went into the, to the uh, school and said, hey, you know, you might want to look at this. I'm not sure what that is because I'm just, you know, I was a student and it's not my plane. And, um, and they called me the next day and said, well, that, that plane's offline now. We're gonna, they're going to have to you know, tend to that engine, rebuild it or whatever. And what really threw me was I went to look at my pictures I'd taken at Groton, which was one of the stops I'd made in Connecticut, and that trickle of oil is there. It had, you know, it had happened. Whatever was happening to that engine was happening much earlier than I had noticed, and I hadn't noticed it. And you know, I was new at all this, but still, I definitely, it definitely caused me to think later, okay, you know, you got to look, you got to look a lot more carefully. You know, you don't have to, it's not about going nuts. It's just about paying attention and looking for those things. So, um, that's what I thought back about after I heard what happened, what may have happened in this situation at, at Taunton recently. And, um, so I just wanted to bring it up as a, you know, we all, you know, we all strive to be as careful as we can. And, and, you know, there's some things that you can't control. Uh, you try to minimize the, the, the challenges by making good decisions on the ground, but some of it is just, Man, there are things you got to do. You know, you got to check stuff out because it's all up to you. And uh, so, anyway, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that, but it was just something I, yeah, I had that gasp moment when I heard what had happened um, because there's nothing to do. You know. Yeah, and I I remember I can't remember when, but I had mentioned a, an accident that had happened out in Hyannis. I was just trying to do some quick research. Uh, Hyannis, Mass. I think it was 2008. It was a cargo plane that was departing out of Hyannis that um, took off, uh, stalled, and impacted the ground, fatally killing the pilot. And they, same thing they found, or similar thing, they found the, uh, the control gust lock mm. still installed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's like one of those things where you just not shake your head in disbelief, or I guess you do shake your head in disbelief, and you just wonder, my gosh, that's a, you know, that's a scary thing. Because you, yeah. you can imagine yourself in a situation yeah. where you're you're flying and you have no control and you're like, you know, you probably you're just like, oh my it, god! It might, you know, if there's time, it might dawn on you what what you didn't do or what might what it might be, and yeah, you know, there and, and uh, you know, you just you just your heart sinks. Yeah, it's I was, you know, yeah, that was my reaction. And and it, anyway, just uh, you know, just sobering reminder of of why attention to detail matters. Sure. So. Yeah, and I was also looking up. You said the Aronka uh, Seven AC. That's an Aronka uh, champion. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, it, um, and I think the both pilots. Um, uh, I think I, I don't know the numbers, but have you know a lot of flying experience. So mm-hmm. it, it was maybe just a combination of of situations, new plane, early morning, whatever. If yeah. all if that's all they end up concluding. But like I said, the, I, I feel safe in at least discussing that because it caused me to think and because that came from an in, um NTSB board a person saying that to the local media. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. You know, I wonder what goes through your head when prior to that and what went through their head as far as their checklists and, and pre flight. Uh, you know, just to add to that, there are two things. I um, my mom actually had a friend that, that was killed in a plane crash. When he took off after a funeral, he was pretty distraught mm-hmm. uh, at the funeral and forgot to take the gust lock out, and uh, mm-hmm. it was up in Connecticut. Uh, but, you know, another uh, thing I, I've seen, I've seen a, a very experienced 20,000-hour pilot forget to undo the tie-down and mm-hmm. uh, and try to taxi away. So, right. um, you, you know, I think in the past, and it's been smaller things for me, obviously, but 
I think complacency can get to you sometimes if you have a lot of hours. Uh, right. If you look at somebody who has an accent, possibly, you know, it's like, gosh, you see it, you don't see it, that type of thing. You look and you say, okay, that Gus Locke's released, and it really wasn't. Right. Um, that those type of things. So how do you how do you prevent that? And that, there's many tools. I guess in that case, it's actually touching it, feeling it in your hand mm-hmm. that you actually did release it, that type of thing. Right. Uh, I think to keep in mind, if you do notice something like your chalks or your tie downs and you're having someone else get out and do it or mm-hmm. whatnot, turn off the engine. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just yeah. be safe. Um, unfortunately, I know someone uh, someone was killed yeah. getting out, removing some chalks. So, so yeah, there was an there was an incident. Shut down. Yeah, there was a yeah. We've all probably heard of those stories because mm-hmm. yeah, like, that's a that's a good example though. Is, you know, gosh, it makes you think. I mean, you might my heart sunk when you said that, and it's like, gosh, you know, now rushed to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. go get those for me, will you, real quick? And you know, I've I've hopped out of the plane when the the um, prop was running with uh, Bob and took the gus lock or something off before, yeah. but you never know. And you know what, just might as well right. just shut the engine off. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, that just something more more stuff to think about. And I hope you know. Hope we learn more about this one. And you know, we'll see. We'll all be safe, uh, safer in the future. Just thinking about it. You know, I, I walk around now because that that silly little uh, chalk incident with me. I, I circle the plane a couple of times mm-hmm. now, <laughs> and I say it out loud to myself. You know, talk, yeah. okay, ropes are all done. You know, and so I always will probably. So anyway. You know, I was cool. just yeah. I'm, go ahead, Sean. I was gonna say, I mean, I, th- I think it's you know, you you hear about those accident chains, and um, you know, that seems like one of the the first red flags. Like you say, just you know, kind of pull your head up if you see something like that. Realize that that could be leading you down a further path. You know, just kind of reset yourself. I think is is probably one of the most important things when you see one of those, com- like you guys were saying, complacency. Um, I mean, the most important thing is just sort of take a second and just reset your whole mindset at that point. And, and you know, that's just one of those things. I've, I've heard the horror stories too, and you just uh, can certainly see it happening to yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I was just kind of thinking of as we were talking about this is you could even, you know, even if it's a rented aircraft, you could just have your own paper checklist and just check off, you know, Gus Lock released or the reason I'm actually mentioning this in the Super Cub that I've had the pleasure of flying up in Alaska, the method of Gus Lock and control locks that we used up there on my friend's Super Cub, they are these like foam discs that you actually slide in the slots between the ailerons and the rudder and, um, and the elevator, and they have a little wing nut on them, so that you know it's basically like this compression disc, but there's two on each control surface, so you know when you've collected them all, you're like, all right, I've got six of these or eight of these. Well, hold on a second, I don't have them all. So if you like, you know, mm-hmm. you could make your own checklist or add to your own, as an aircraft owner, add to your checklist, mm-hmm. and just use a, a you know a whiteboard or a marker or something, and check off every time you remove them, and then count them. Or you know, I guess there's some ex- extra steps because I remember specifically doing that. He'd be like, "Hey, how many you got over there?" And I'd be like, "This many." And okay, well, we're missing. We we forgot something, or we've got them all. Um, so that was one one trick that we used was counting to make sure that we had all of the all of the um, the control lock devices removed in that mm-hmm. aircraft in that example. So maybe that's you know maybe that's a tool you could do either add it to your checklist or uh, make it part of uh, you know something that you write out on your kneeboard or your flight plan you know as an as a in the comments section as something you do personally above and beyond. Yeah. Cool. Well, anyway. Sad that happened, but I wanted to bring it up. Right. Well, uh, I've got a sort of an interesting story involving Carl and I. When I think it was one of the first times we flew, but I kind of revisited. Oh, you're, fin- you're finally going to tell that story, That huh? story. No, yeah. wait a minute. Oh, no, no, not that story. <laughs> no, 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 not that. No. <laughs> I'm kind of getting nervous here, Len. <laughs> no, no, come on. Jeez, we're just, yeah. But, um, okay, leading down the wrong path here already. But no, we, uh, so... I got called uh, into work the other day to go flying, and um, we got to the airport, and this, I mean, a storm literally of epic proportions, one that, like, just looking at the sky, the, the sheer size of what was approaching the airport was just absolutely intense and ominous and dark, 
And this gust front that was moving through was was just blowing dirt and lightning. Like a, I, I describe it as this surreal scene. It looked like something out of a science fiction movie. So I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, just what I want to be launching into as this storm approaches the airport. So turns out when I get to the airplane, um, because of the lightning and the storm, ramp is closed. Uh, there's a uh, there's there's an OSHA rule that when lightning strikes, I don't know what the vicinity of the airport is, but they have a certain parameter. When it strikes, the ramp is automatically closed for 15 minutes uh, to begin with, and they have to wait so long before you know the last lightning strike before they can open the ramp, let the personnel out to service the aircraft, load bags, unload bags, especially the fuelers. So I get to this airplane, and ramp is closed. So we're 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 delayed because of the weather. Now, as the evening goes on, we eventually make our way out to the runway, um, and there's a ground stop because of uh, once we, you know, we got off the gate, made it to the runway, but then there was a ground stop for more weather issues. So they were after part, you know, the majority of the storm had passed, or what uh, air traffic control perceived the majority of the storm had passed. They had called the first person in line at the runway. And told them uh, to prepare for departure. They were going to be their pathfinder. So I wanted to tell a quick, you know, story about what it is about being a pathfinder and whether or not you obviously have to accept that. But basically, this aircraft being cleared for departure as a pathfinder was going to be—I don't want to say, you know—I guess it is kind of like the crash test dummy. But you know, the person who goes out and sort of like explores to see. What's the weather like, and and which way can we depart uh, airplanes and traffic? They do this a lot at major airports. In fact, the reason why I was uh, mentioning Carl earlier is because Carl and I, that the only time I was ever a pathfinder, was when Carl and I were were. Uh, I think it was it was we flew Providence was on it? one or two separate occasions. Yeah, it was out of Providence. We were on our way back to New York. It was dark. A storm had just passed. The storm wasn't affecting necessarily Providence, but it was kind of between. Uh, where we were in New York. So they cleared us for departure as this pathfinder. And we're climbing out, and they switch us over to departure, and departure says, you know, flight blah, 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 whatever altitude, whatever heading you want, it is yours. Fly wherever, however. In fact, don't even tell it. You don't have to communicate to us. Just, you know, navigate however you need to around the storms to get where you're going. So basically what we did is, you know, we flew around this weather and they followed our path on on the radar and then were able to, uh, through questions about how our experience was with turbulence and cells and diverting, what it was like for the other airport, our other airplanes that they could depart behind us. Now, you know, we were comfortable with that because the, air, the weather wasn't affecting the airport and, you know, we had seen on the radar where it was going and so it wasn't a concern for us. But it was funny because... This incident that just, uh, or the uh, the ground stop that I was just talking about that affected us, and I heard them clear that airplane for the Pathfinder, that the um, disappointment, and, and, and you could just hear the, the, in the pilot's voice that he was like, he was like, okay, uh, well, yeah, we'll get ready. We'll start the engines. Yeah, he wasn't very keen on the idea of departing. And so, it, you know, one part of it was, well, I wanted to share the story about And Carl and I will talk a little bit about being a pathfinder. And then the second half was, if you don't want to take off into the weather, just because Tower says you're number one at the runway and they want you to be a pathfinder doesn't mean you have to say yes. If you're not comfortable with that, by all means, don't depart. Um, Carl, a little bit more about, because I don't know how many other experiences you've had being a pathfinder. The one that you and I flew was my only. Um, But, you know... It was it was nice having the freedom of whatever altitude, whatever heading you want. That was that was fun. I mean, it was like a free for all up there. The <laughs> sky was clear for us, and we could go wherever and do whatever. But what what are your other experiences in these you know, pathfinding? Just to add to what you said, you know, one of the things that that went through my mind. I'm not sure if I share this with you. Is I wonder what the air traffic controller is thinking. You know, it's like <laughs> these guys are silly enough to be up there right now. They can go wherever <laughs> they want. <laughs> Any altitude, any heading. I That's mean, true. Luck, That's guys. true. <laughs> they probably they could have been thinking that about us. You never know. But you know, I, I actually when I was, I went into uh, Dulles one day and I was uh, told, "Hey, you're the pathfinder." I think they use that term uh, more often than not. 
because I've had had it used twice, and and basically you're the one that's going through that line of cells, and and when you get through there, you really the most important thing I found, of course, is giving a pie rep to the person behind you. Uh, but uh, you know sometimes it doesn't really work out so well, because in certain times, <clears throat> say your radar is not working well, and in this one instance where we were the only one leaving the the Milwaukee area, it was actually during Oshkosh. We wound up going smack dab into the middle of a level four or five. And that was a really bad experience, and I never, ever want to do that again. So sometimes a Pathfinder, it, it's good, but it sometimes doesn't work out uh, very well. And, of course, like you just said, you can always turn that down. You know? But I've, I've also been you know, following other people that were the Pathfinder, and I tell you what, it really is a wonderful thing to have someone in front of you tell you, hey, it's clear over here, go to this fix and go over here, or go right 20 degrees around that cell and it's clear in a million afterwards. It gives you a real comfortable feeling once you have somebody in front of you that is the pathfinder that, that's let you through there, uh, that led you through there. Uh, it, but you being the pathfinder, yeah, I, my feeling is you really got to make sure your radar is working very mm-hmm. well. And uh, I remember going up into Canada once and being the only one going into this airport and I basically told the first officer I was with, hey, listen, this is our out. It's a 180-degree turn. So you, not only you have to have your way out, mm-hmm. you know, don't get yourself into a corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Those absolutely. My thoughts on that. Yeah. But I don't – it really it, – it's not something that it, it can in certain situations be riskier than others, you know. And it's I agree. Not, right. You know, there's, there's some areas where it's like, yeah, you're a pathfinder. It's not a big deal. But uh, I felt that night. It was uh, it was quite interesting the storms that were out there and uh, but navigating around them was was fairly easily once you, once you get up in the air yeah. and of course you always had to, the option of going back to to Providence that night that we we're flying together right question Len mm-hmm. I believe you said this was an OSHA rule uh, that about the the fifteen minutes for the, the rampers lightning? yeah yeah that's for the rampers correct yeah. Okay, so this 15-minute lightning strike rule wouldn't apply to, say, a private pilot in a Cessna. Nope. Would it? Even mm. though, you know, he shouldn't be flying in that no, anyway. That, right, because uh, because it's more of a, a from OSHA, uh, which is Occupational Safety and Hazard. Yeah. Um, yeah, they deal with employees uh, for the employer and stuff like that. So, no, I mean, you as as your own individual, you know, have to make those own your, your own decisions on what's going on. Um, when it's safe for you to be on the ramp as well with lightning, but yeah, no, that was that's just for airport personnel, uh, fuelers, Part rampers. Would, and you uh, know, it, it is quite dangerous out there. I mean, with lightning striking and there's metal everywhere. Well, would uh, a Cessna, like an average Cessna, be asked to be a pathfinder, or is that just an airline thing? Gosh, uh, I, I mean, you could, you could, if it was. I would say that if it was day VMC, you know, the storm just rolled through and it was some sort of VMC. I mean, I suppose that could happen. Um, I, I, I mean, if, obviously, like, but boy, if you didn't have radar, right, I would not. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but what Carl was talking about with the radar, make sure your radar is working. I, you, you certainly wouldn't do that at night. You probably wouldn't do that in IMC, day or night. If you know, if you didn't have a a means, and I don't even really think Nextrad uplink would be an acceptable method for becoming, you know, for volunteering for a pathfinding expedition that day, uh, just because of the the delays and whatnot. So, I mean, you probably could, but you know, that's kind of why I'm talking about this. In case you are, in case that does happen to you, um, you know, know what your options are, know what the expectation is. You're the you're the lead guy in front. You're the crash test dummy. You're the one poking your nose out and you know in the storm to see what is and what isn't happening. And it's interesting because when we were sitting on the ground and the storm is passing over, you can hear on the high was transmitting over the VOR that they're talking about severe turbulence that was reported in the vicinity of the airport. And we're th- the, uh, the other pilot I'm flying with and I are looking at each other going, Who's up there flying to even report that? Why are you here? Why are you doing that? You know, like, if you're up there reporting severe turbulence, how did you even end up in this area? Like, you should have gone around. You you, you know what I'm saying? So it's right. kind of an interesting... That was one of the questions we were asking ourselves, and we're looking at each other like, we're not taking off on that crap. Heck, no, I'm not going up there until that report's gone. I'm not dealing with that. So, uh, you know, it leads to more than just, uh, you know, more than just dodging storms, but in that day it was... It was wind with the gusting, the gust front and the gusty winds, and it was the severe turbulence. And there's a whole lot more than, you know, just uh, being the Pathfinder. So, uh, 
but yeah, I remember that experience as I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure it was Carl and I that flew yeah. that night out of Providence on a Pathfinder. I remember uh, laughing yeah. about it with you, that, that, <laughs> you know, in the airplane. <laughs> it's because like, I'm really? probably, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm newer at this point. I've probably only been there a year or two, so I don't have uh, the eight years experience now. But I still, looking back at it, I do recall that that wasn't uh, a scenario where I felt uncomfortable or even now knowing, you know, what we were doing, that it just wasn't that. But this most recent experience with that other gentleman that did accept it to take off and we're looking at each other going, I don't even want to be sitting out here on the on the taxiway while this weather is happening, let alone be that guy who just decided to take off and be a pathfinder. So you got to put that in perspective sometimes. You know, and Len, uh, speaking towards the safety on the ramp, uh, you know, you're out there in the middle of everything and there's a lot of metal. And uh, just recently we pushed off the gate and a huge storm came in and – wouldn't you know, but a bolt of lightning hit right in front of us and hit the, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, light pole mm-hmm. and went all the way down the light pole and you saw all the lights in the terminal go out <laughs> right when that happened. And uh, thank God there was nobody on the ramp at that point. But, you know, when you're, when you're for those people that are listening that have, you know, flown for the airlines or been in, on an airliner, you know, that's another thing. When you're waiting, you know, a lot of times it's for the safety of the person that's on the ground. Not so much you because it's designed to take a lightning strike the aircraft you're in, but it's for the people that are out there, you know, to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. So, to, so as to not to light them up, you know, during the day. And I, it's, uh, I always get amused when, when people get frustrated when you don't, when there's a, you know, for some reason there's a, the aircraft isn't departing and I kind of get amused because you can point to the sky and you can see, be like, you see that lightning over there? You see that rain? You hear that thunder? It's like, what is it that you really are in a rush to get into that for? Why, why do you want to go into that nonsense? <laughs> Time to spare. Go by air. Yeah, don't, don't, don't be upset if there's a delay for the weather because there's a, there's a very good reason for it. You will uh, save your bacon more often than not by, by staying out of weather. That's, that's probably one of the biggest things that you know will save your bacon out there flying is just making prudent decisions about weather and how you approach weather. Um, and not getting into it are situations that uh, that are more severe than you think. So, yeah, pathfinding, interesting, uh, interesting so Len, way to fly. What what would you suggest? I mean, I always tell people if you're going to be a pathfinder, always have a way out. Uh, that's one of my important things. I mean, in your in your being a captain now, sure. You know, what's the most important thing as far as being a pathfinder that um, you feel as far as the philosophy towards? towards flying and keeping it safe. You know, it's 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 kind of talking about the things that I've touched upon where, uh, and, and also what you mentioned, having a good radar or a radar that's operating, plain and simple, uh, on your, on you know, onboard aircraft, that that's one thing for me. Looking at the radar loop and the radar image on the computer to know actually where the storm is, because clearly when you're in the aircraft, you know, the radar only sweeps so many degrees off of the nose of the aircraft. So you don't, without looking at a third party or a different location, you're not really going to know where the bulk of the storm is. So you know, I take those two things into account. And then like we were talking about listening to HIWAS and hearing the, uh, the reports on turbulence and wind and taking all that stuff into account. So until it reaches a point where I feel comfortable with, you know, a multitude of, of factors, wind, storm distance... Uh, lightning strikes, what I can see, what I can't see. That's when I'm like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do this, or other times I'm not. And there's been other situations where, you know, I've heard reports of wind shear at the airport, and I decided, you know what, I'm not taking off. I'm going to wait 15 minutes. And I watch other airplanes depart off the runway. For whatever reason, they have a, diff, you know, a different train of thought, and I'm like, eh. I'm not gonna. I can. I can take 15 minutes to, to let the wind change or the storm blow by, and you know we can all just sit here and relax and feel comfortable and know that we're safe. Um, but it's each. You know, it's also from a pilot perspective what they, what they know, what they're comfortable with, what they think they can handle, and I. I just. You know, I. I find that in most things, Carl, there's not much. Uh, you, you you know what it is? You have to convince me to become airborne. You have to give me a good reason to take off, not a good reason to stay on the ground. You have to give me a better reason to take off, ultimately. Right. I like that. That's a good philosophy. I think that's great. Yeah. Good point. Um, 
So that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's pathfinding in a nutshell, if you will. So uh, questions, comments, anybody? Pathfinding, Canadian flying, uh, aircraft accidents? All right, good. You got 10 seconds. That was it. That was it. Kids. That was it. <laughs> our Picks of the Week. Moving on to our Picks of the Week, the uh, segment of the show where we share different aviation products or services that uh, we have used or found in our travels that look interesting that we want to share with, uh, with you, the listener. Uh, why don't we start with um, uh, Sean? Tell us about your Pick of the Week. Sure. Mine is a uh, TV show I came across called Aerial America. And it's, um, they go state by state. And it's the idea of the show is talking about the history of these states. But the really interesting thing is it's all shot off of some kind of aerial platform. I think it's mostly helicopters. And there's not one shot in the show that's not shot from the helicopter. So it's, it's a really cool way. And it's all low and slow stuff. You know, it looks like it's below you know, below a thousand feet for sure. And it's just a beautiful look at, at the country from sort of a general aviation perspective. Even if the show is not about aviation, it's just a beautiful perspective on the country from that height. Um, and it's on the uh, Smithsonian Channel, which I don't get. But if you have an Apple TV, uh, the Smithsonian Channel has an app on there. And every now and then they'll throw a full episode up on there. So it's uh, it's it's a pretty cool show. Cool. Let me check awesome. that out. That's a great show, by the way. I, I, I second that one. It's uh, one, not only do you get to see the world or you know America from a different perspective, you actually get to learn some history about every place. Yes. You know that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great one. All right, and let's do Victoria. Your pick of the week. Woo! Um, actually, we've spoken a lot about open airplane over uh, recording the podcast. We've even uh, interviewed the founder. So I've been. Uh, looking at this project from the beginning and really supportive of it and uh, helped Rod, you know, meet the insurance people so we could get this started. So I wanted to mention as my my pick of the week today, Star Aviation is uh, one of the companies that knows the most about open airplane and actually we're premier partners with Star. We have a great working relationship with them. And partnering up with them we've been able to find create this great uh, non-owned aircraft insurance renters insurance for people who need to meet those open airplane requirements by getting renters insurance so we've got this program for renters insurance as well as commercial insurance for airplanes that are in the open airplane network so if you just want to give me a call um, star aviation is the people that can really help you out and we all know the regs and requirements for being involved in part of the open airplane network through and through. And it's been just awesome to see it develop and help these people who now can fly airplanes pretty much wherever they please. Now, when you say commercial, so like for aircraft owners that want to uh, lease backs and stuff like that? Yeah, that are part of the open airplane network. Okay. So like the planes that are being rented, um, the insurance for that. Excellent. As well as, yep, the renter's insurance. Yeah, I was thinking about buying a couple of MiG-29s and putting those out in, it, in the open <laughs> airplane network. You know what I'm saying? Nice. <laughs> it, it might be a little tricky, but I'd be happy to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just recently fell into some money, so I thought, you know, I would share my love of aviation. Can with... <laughs> I fall into some of it as well? Just trip me. <laughs> That's a joke. The only thing I've fallen into recently was dog poop in the backyard but anyway wow um, <laughs> all right Great segue yeah right <laughs> uh you know i got i was trying to make a joke but it was whatever uh rick tell us about your pick oh, of the week i was like oh please let me follow dog poop. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah mine mine is a um an ios app it's it's actually an ipad app specifically um it's called atc voice and i was i was looking at uh, oddly enough the way i found it i was looking at an atc game you know air traffic control kind of um, you know, landing planes, keeping separation and all that. And, and, and I was looking at one and looked, looked it up again to find it and found this one. So I have not bought this one. Um, it's, it's, it's currently listed at $9.99, which is an expensive app these days. Um, but it's called ATC Voice because you can voice activate um, your commands. So you can make the ATC calls to adjust planes on your screen, and then you'll get a response back. Um, it interprets a little. I see a spinning wheel in the demo video, a lot like Siri works and other things. And then it responds 
you know, the, the pilot of that plane responds with a readback. And, um, and you can also do touchscreen and, you know, adjust the flights. And, and it looks, the visuals are very cool. And uh, um, I have not used it, but I think I just love the demo video, uh, which we'll put a link to uh, on, uh, you know, in the show notes. Um, but it's called ATC Voice. And it's by a company called Looking West. And it's for the iPad. All right. Well, I've uh, talked about one of these items briefly before, I think maybe in the Alaska episode, but the uh, PLB, the Personal Locator Beacons, uh, which is basically a uh, best example is, you know, probably a cell phone sized ELT in your pocket. One of the major manufacturers, ACR, just came out uh, with a new one called the Rescue Link PLB. Uh, it's in the under $300 range. I was actually looking at devices for uh, for backwoods, backcountry hiking. Uh, my girlfriend has a spot messenger, and while I, un- I-, I like the spot messenger um, and all that it has, I kind of like having the backup, you know, of a PLB above and beyond if the spot doesn't uh, do what you need it to do, you know, call search and rescue. So... I was looking for these recently, and I happened to find this newer one that's just recently come out. It's not brand, brand new, but it's new in the last couple of months, the Rescue Link PLB. Uh, why I like it is it weighs 4.6 ounces. It weighs under a half a pound, and it is about the size of your cell phone. Uh, if you have an iPhone or an Android phone, it's a little bit smaller than that. So it's highly portable. Uh, it's extremely lightweight. It's easy to carry along. And uh, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a personal locator beacon. It's an ELT, a pocket-sized ELT that will transmit on the 406 megahertz network for GPS location and 121.5. I think it still does the backup. Uh, as far as I remember, it works at, um, let's see, it does COSPIS, SARSAT, the FCC, Canada, R, and TTE, Australia, New Zealand. It's got five major uh, major approvals for the five major networks out there, and it's really cool. Uh, it's got a it's it's a really a great piece of equipment for uh, for not just in the aircraft, but you know if you're back doing stuff backcountry, an interesting device. So I'll include a link in the show notes uh, for that. But it is the ACR Rescue Link PLB. That being said, I think we still have to hear from Mr. Carl on your pick of the week. Last but not least, I I actually the you know I had another pick, but you know, I was, I was listening to Victoria talk about Canada, and there was one place that I never got a chance to go to, and it's on my bucket list of aviation museums, and it's called the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum. It's actually in Ottawa at the Rockcliffe Airport, and it's in the old historic uh, section of Ottawa, and there's an old World War II hangar there. What's really cool about this museum is when it when it first began, they – uh, started collecting like bush airplanes and flying in the bush, that type of thing. So they had those aircraft. Then they started branching out into military and then into the space. And it came under the, the technology museums in Canada, which is kind of like saying it's under the, the Smithsonian museums in America. So the museum looks like a wonderful, wonderful collection. So if you do go to Ottawa, if you go downtown, it's not that far of a cab ride. And it's one of the things that, you know, I, I have always said, oh, I'll get there, I'll get there. I always go to Ottawa. Now I'm not flying to Ottawa, and I really wish I, I made it there. But it's it's a wonderful museum, the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum. They have great exhibits. They have this really cool timeline uh, following the history of aviation within Canada, which I think is really fascinating. And I, I'd really like to actually go see some of those exhibits. So, again, it's a Canadian Aviation and Space Museum. I visited their wi- website often, but never got a chance to go to the, the museum. I'd love to maybe hear from some of our uh, listeners that, that have been there just to see what it's like, but it looks awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's just neat. And, and their website's really cool, too. <laughs> I love that. He almost drooled yeah, when he said that. Little, Did I just drool? little yeah. Beavis and Butthead action there. <laughs> uh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, well, great. That is... Uh, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. So... This is uh, this is it. That's that's the, that is the show. That is episode fifty six. If you're looking to reach uh, reach the podcasts, whether it's questions, comments, show ideas, I have been getting a lot more emails and even phone call recently about a show idea. Uh, you know, first brought us uh, most recently the lawn chair 
Aviator. We've got uh, some other things on the line that, w- that we've heard from you, the listener, and we do appreciate that. Please continue to send in your comments, questions, show ideas. You can reach us at stuckmygavcast.com forward slash contact. From there, you can send us an email. You can write us a letter. You can call us on the phone. You can reach each one of us individually on Twitter, whatever you, whatever you fancy. The After Landing Checklist. If you've enjoyed the show and you're looking for a way to help support the Stuck My Gavcast, you can visit the website, stuckmygavcast.com. On the right-hand side, visit one of our affiliate partners. They provide some really great aviation products and services, and we've partnered with them specifically uh, because of the personal relationships with them and because of our personal experiences with some of the products they offer. Now, I do want to let you know that we, you know, clicking on our affiliate partners on the side of the website helps support the Stuck Mike Avcast. It's no extra cost to you. We do receive a small percentage, and it helps us maintain the podcast and the hosting and all that stuff. Plus, you'll get extra karma points in our logbook. So if you're interested in doing that, visit the website. Our affiliate partners are on the right-hand side. Uh, We hope you'll check that out. From myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, Victoria Zyko and Sean Moody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 56. We wish you clear skies and calm winds. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.